are listening to the Moody Girl Podcast with me, Emily Fazer. Throughout this series, we're going to be opening the minds of experts and delving into the world of alternative healing methods. Before we start the episode today, I wanted to ask all of you listeners a question. Did you know that a lot of people are living with lower than recommended magnesium levels? I didn't know this either and had never explored incorporating magnesium into my daily life until I started having skin issues. I now use Better You Magnesium Oil Body Spray when I get out of the shower in the morning and spray onto my feet before I go to bed. I found that when I had psoriasis and hormonal breakouts on my face or body, I would spray it on and at first it really stung. But this was a sign from my body that my cellular magnesium levels were low. The more I got the magnesium into my system daily, the less it stung. It made sense. If you're feeling like you could benefit from having magnesium in your life, I would strongly recommend looking into using Better You Magnesium Oil Body Spray. Link to purchase is in the bio. Now, let's get to the episode. I've personally had so many different health struggles in my life. Doctor prescribed medicines have often left me feeling worse and as though they are masking the problem rather than actually addressing the root cause. And this has led me to think outside of the box and find holistic ways to feel better in myself. I'm not professing to be some kind of health guru and I'm definitely not a doctor. Just someone who's trying to explore new ways to feel better and make the most out of life. For this episode, I'm trying something slightly different. I'll be speaking to Shruti Patel, who I actually met whilst doing the Wim Hof course with one of my previous guests, Ravi Moda. It was in the getting to know each other part of the course where I found Shruti's story super interesting. Shruti opened up about how she'd embarked on a 10-day Vipassana, which is essentially a 10-day silent retreat which completely changed her life. During the interval of the course, I got talking to Shruti Moore and she told me of how her divorce had completely flipped her world upside down and left her feeling like a shell of herself. It was through this that she started trying new ways to take care of her mind and body and ultimately heal after her marriage breakdown. It's funny how life can sometimes bring certain people into your world. I was instantly drawn to hearing more about Shruti's story and feel it's an important one to share with you all. I hope you find this conversation as interesting as I did. Enjoy. So hi, Shruti. Thank you so much for being on the Moody Girl podcast today. How are you? Hi, Emily. I'm well, thank you. And thank you for having me on your podcast today. No problem. Um, I mean, I feel like throughout this whole podcast, I'm just beginning to meet people organically who are on similar kind of life paths, whether it's, you know, circumstances or just generally kind of on that healing journey. And so it was amazing when I met you because we were both at Ravi's workshop, obviously did a podcast with Ravi uh, a few weeks ago, talking about his own kind of journey uh, into the Wim Hof method. And it was, I think it was like when we were doing the about me section, um, when we were all going around in the circle, it's all a bit awkward when you first start. And then I think it was, he said something like, what is it that's made you like proud of yourself recently? And then you kind of went on this amazing 
story telling us telling us as a group about your vipassana and listeners if you don't know what a vipassana is we'll explain that to you later on in the show so um but yeah so i mean shruti how how come you were at ravi's workshop where where were you before that and you know are you into alternative healing can you tell us a little bit more about about you and why you were there Definitely. So it was absolutely wonderful meeting you at that workshop. And I think very quickly on that day, we all shared our experiences and journeys. And I would say for me in the last four years, I've been on a really big journey of healing. So the Wim Hof method was something that was one of many things that I wanted to try and things that I've been drawn to. And as you said, when you start this journey of healing, you meet all of these people who are also on a path of healing. So Wim Hof was something that I'd heard about through a few friends who had mentioned it seems really good, particularly if you are suffering from something, specific illnesses. It's great for that because it boosts your immune system. So for me, I had done breathwork before and the Wim Hof method does take parts of breathwork as well as part of it. So I knew I'd already enjoyed part of what it's about, but the cold exposure was something that was completely new. So I was intrigued, I was interested, and because I have been doing so many other things in the world of healing, especially the Vipassana most recently, it felt like the next thing that I wanted to do, which was why I was so drawn to it and so glad that I went on it, because even now I'm finding it really rewarding. I know, I think like it was, it was strange. I feel like everyone who went to the Wim Hof workshop they each had their own reason to be there and you could kind of feel that in the group and whether it was, you know, completely different to the other, we we're all kind of looking for that same sort of solace in, in trying to heal ourselves. So I thought that was really cool. Um, so, I mean, let's go a little bit more into the Vipassana. Where were you at? But, well, first of all, let's explain to the audience, what is a Vipassana? Cause before you mentioned it that day, I had no idea what it was. Um, and, as soon as you started explaining it, I was just like, oh my God, I want to listen to this girl more. <laughs> Absolutely. So it is a word that people are so unfamiliar with. And when I told people I was going on it, they had never heard of it before. Um, so it is an ancient Indian technique of meditation. So it's been around for two millennia, they say. Um, and they are there are the fastness centers all across the world that have been set up to basically teach people this method of meditation. They start it with a 10-day course, but you can actually do much longer, which wow. people think is incredible, given that even 10 days of doing it is, is very long. Um, and the basic concept behind it is that you take a noble silence for those 10 days, which means you literally do not communicate verbally, with hand gestures, any type of communication. There's absolutely nothing at all. Wow. And you take five further precepts they call it where you're abstaining from doing a certain number of things so I'll talk you through what those are so one of them is abstaining from stealing which seems like a very basic concept yeah I was gonna say yeah. hopefully we can get that down <laughs> this shouldn't be difficult at all um the next one is abstaining from killing any being so you are on a strict vegetarian diet mm. so you won't be having any meat at all um and that's because they do strongly believe in not killing animals and things like that. Now, it's important to note that this isn't a religion of any form. It's, it's a practice um, and that it's actually very non-sectarian. So they say we don't associate ourselves with a religion and it's, it's just a technique that you're learning. But you'll find with some of the things that I say, it sounds like a lot of religions do follow these basic concepts in terms mm -hmm. of how they say that you should live your life. Um, the next one is abstaining from sexual misconduct. 
now you're in total silence and you're not interacting with any men at all. They separate the men and women. Um, so that's an easy one to follow. Mm -hmm. um, you have to abstain from telling any lies. Now, again, because you're in silence, that shouldn't be too difficult. And the final one is abstaining from any intoxicants. So no alcohol, no drugs, um, nothing in your system at all. So very basic concept in that respect. But the noble silence is the one that I think people struggle with. When I spoke about that with everyone, they were saying, how can you do that? Because you, your phone is taken away from you the minute you enter this meditation center and you don't see it for 10 days after that. And you're even sharing a room. So I was sharing a room with two other ladies and we didn't speak for those 10 days. Wow. So yeah, right before we went into the silence, we had to come to a kind of arrangement so we know who will be using the bathroom at what time. Um, and then that was it. You then just go into your silence and you never speak again for 10 days, even though you're sleeping in the same bedroom. That's such a fair point. Just like, you know, normal things like going to the toilet, you had to, how did you, how did you even think about that? Did they give you a cue to ask your roommates to do that? Or was well, it just order? We agreed an order. Now it's a very strict timetable. So you wake up at 4am every single morning. Wow. Yes. And you start your first meditation from 4.30am till 6.30am, which it's two hours first thing in the morning, which again, for me, I'm not even a morning person. Mm. So it seems like a really bizarre concept to put yourself through. But what we had agreed was an order of who would use the bathroom. So literally, I would always go first, then the next person, and then the next person. And anytime we had a break, we would follow that same pattern. So we use our own bathroom in order, um, which seems really formal. But also, there's no other way of doing it without communicating. So you have to do it that way. Yeah, because you can't do hand gestures. No, not at all. And no writing. So another oh. big part of the pasana is they say to give it a fair trial, they want you to stop doing anything that you normally do, which could include journaling, any religious practices that you have. It could be chanting, lighting incense, any yoga, any exercise, any music, reading, writing. So they don't let you take any books in with you, which, again, is a really big thing because for me, that's a big part of my life. I journal every day nearly. Yeah. I do really peaceful music in the morning. I meditate in different ways. So it felt really big to not be doing any of that. But the reason they say that is to give it a fair trial. Because if, for example, you were doing yoga and doing this Vipassana, you may think it's both that led you to feeling the way you do at the end of it. Mm. Or you might put it more down to the yoga and say, well, it was the yoga and that's why. And I was in a meditation center doing yoga. To be able to understand this technique, you just have to focus on the technique. And it made so much sense by the end why they tell you not to do anything else. Wow. I mean, what did you do with those 10 days without anything doing anything else? What did you do? Yeah. So thinking I did a lot of thinking if I'm honest I think I relived my entire past in those 10 days and I mean all the way from my childhood to my teenage years university big life events now you explore that because you've got a lot of time to do so so imagine with us we've got a routine we go to work we have social plans we do so much in our rat race of a life that we all tend to live in to suddenly be in a center where all you're doing is attending sessions of meditation and eating and sleeping, that's literally all you're doing, you end up thinking about a lot. Mm. And a lot of things that you don't think you need to think about. Now, for me, having gone through a divorce, which is a big part of the reason I even ended up on the Vipassana, I actually thought that would come up a lot more than it did, if I'm honest. Actually, the things that I was exploring were things from my childhood, which I didn't realize I even still carried with me, or things that I didn't think were a big deal, or people who weren't that bigger part of my life and yet 
my brain was clearly taking me there because maybe I still had something unresolved. It was a lot of thinking time. Mm. And people say with meditation, oh, I really want to do meditation because I'm just sick of thinking about everything. I just want these thoughts to go. Vipassana teaches you that the polar opposite, that you need to accept your thoughts. You actually need to hear what you have to say. You need to go deep and think back to your past, think back to why you are the way you are. So for me, it was a really deep experience in terms of processing a lot of the things that I had processed in different forms of therapy. So I've done talk therapy, for example, where you talk to a counselor and they explore your feelings with you. But this for me was a personal journey. Mm. I had to face my battles myself, which is very hard when you don't have pen and paper, you can't even write it down. Yeah. At times I felt really emotional. I wanted to cry and it's not that I, I didn't stop myself from crying. So I, that's not healthy. You want to let it out. You want to release it, but there's nowhere to kind of hold you and hug you or help you in that way. So it's a very unique journey to go on. So for me, I loved that about it though, because it took me to places I never thought I would go. I I didn't go in with too many expectations as well. So I think with this, when you Google Vipassana, people say they have profound experiences and they feel almost enlightened at the end of it, like the Buddha. And that's really far on your spiritual journey in terms of feeling like you've been enlightened. I don't know if anyone would say that they're they're there yet. But what I would say was it was a big journey that I went on and it changed my life entirely to the point where even today, so I did this back in April of 2022 and months later, every day I'm feeling the effects of it and I feel so much calmer. I feel like it's changed how I treat people, how I treat myself it's done a lot for me and it's really made me rethink who I am and the way I was living because I work fairly long hours. I work in financial services and I love my career, but I have realized that we do live in this rat race and actually I need to be more mindful and I need to live in a way that serves me and is healthier, particularly having gone through what I've been through, which the divorce for me was the biggest life event that I've gone through. Mm. And that pushed me into looking after myself the Vipassana really accelerated that and said, no, really look after yourself, really think about who you are. Yeah. Not to live. I mean, when you say, you know, you kind of, your mind brought you to situations and and memories that you didn't even think that you still were holding on to. When you, when you think about those memories now, what's your thoughts with those have you made peace with them or have you moved past them how you know because it's it's weird when I try and think because I think even on Ravi's course I when when we went round he was like why are you here and I said I'm trying to quieten the mind I don't know if you remember and you you were probably just like no in that in that moment yeah um because I'm hugely 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 I've always been an overthinker all my family are overthinkers overanalyze everything and I've always seen it as a bit of a detriment to myself yeah um but what you're explaining is like flipping that on its head which is super interesting but my kind of way of digesting my thoughts sometimes if they're getting too out of control is writing it down um and being able to kind of I guess analyze it and get it out of my my brain and onto a piece of paper. So how, if you weren't able to kind of have those um, those things, such as writing writing things down and maybe even recording it, um, how how did you you know process that basically? Great question because I was wondering the same before I went into it. How would yeah. I resist these heavy things that come up? Yeah. And that's where the technique comes in. So the technique, and it's quite a complex technique because there's three parts to it. Okay. We can talk about that maybe a bit later because it will make more sense. But 
the technique is teaching you to observe your breath and your feelings and your body when these things come up. And it's teaching you to accept it and release it again. So that's where the technique becomes really helpful because if you, what, what the Pasana is all about is about seeing things as they really are. So it's not supposed to make your world wonderful and lovely and happy because we all know that the world is so much more than that. There's so much complexity to what we go through as, as humans. What it's trying to really instill in you is that everything is impermanent. So even if you are feeling something really dark and really heavy, it's going to pass. Mm. I think we would all agree with that. Everything yeah. comes and everything goes. So what I was finding was even though I was really uncomfortable, now physically you get very uncomfortable because you're sat for 10 and a half hours every day, cross-legged, just sitting with your, your back straight. I mean, I'm even slouching now and I'm yeah. like, oh my God. Exactly. <laughs> Me too. I'm thinking, wait, am I even sat straight right now? <laughs> you're going through physical pain and you're mentally processing things. What they're teaching you is that back pain that you have, it's temporary because what you're going to do is move your body and then you feel okay again. And if you can apply that to these thoughts that are coming in, it's okay, this is really heavy. This feels awful. I remembered, and this is a very specific example, but I remembered when I was 10, I was really mean to someone at school and I was really horrible and cruel. And that came up and it was okay that happened you did it when you were 10 you are now much older you know a lot better and you don't treat people that way that's okay let that go and forgive yourself Mm. so I felt that clearly I'm holding it because I'm thinking back to it and I'm thinking I was very unkind then and it made me actually go to another place and say is this why you've gone through what you've gone through because you were unkind and therefore it's come right back at you Mm. and that's really easy for us to say well I deserve what I went through and I deserve to have got divorced and I was the reason my marriage failed and you know there's so many more things to it it's so complex it's, it takes two people for a marriage to fail but what was happening to me was I was thinking of these bad moments in my life and thinking did I deserve that and is that the reason I went through what I went through mm-hmm. and that was hard to process yeah. but I also was able to use this technique and learn how it made me feel and how my body felt thinking that and carrying it. And actually I thought, let go of that now. You don't have to carry that forever. You aren't the meanest person in the world. And that, you know, we are all humans. We all make mistakes. We all do good or bad things. So I was able to take what was coming up and say, okay, you've come to me. I'm going to release you now. And that's what this technique does. It says, embrace that thought, accept that thought and accept it and really accept it and then let it go. And what they also teach. And when I say teach, even though a lot of it is silence, every evening we had a seminar where it's an hour and a half and you watch a presentation and it's a recorded film. During those presentations, that's when the teachings come up around humanity and how we treat other people. So it was in those sessions when I was listening to the teacher who teaches this and his name is Goenka. He set up these Vipassana centers. What he teaches is we all have these moments where we may treat someone in a certain way, but it's, it's what do you do about that afterwards? So yes, we've done something awful or we've made a mistake in life. Then what do you do? So are you going to just carry that? And are you going to repeat that pattern? Or are you going to live in a better way because of that? Will you learn from your mistakes? Will you do something differently? Mm. So I was realizing that even though I was being quite harsh on myself, I was realizing that all humans do the things that we do. We all hurt each other. But if you can be aware of that and realize the actual impact of that, you can live very differently. And that was one thing that I really took from it. It was, we all do things, we have our demons, but actually 
we get to do something about that. We get to change afterwards and we get to live in a better way and treat people better. Mm. And it really made me think of that quite deeply, even on the sense of one of the precepts being not to kill any beings. Now, I'm a meat eater. I've always eaten meat my whole life, but it did get me thinking over those 10 days. Well, yes, there are animals suffering for the fact that I do this. And yet I'd never questioned that really deeply. I'd thought about it, but it was something that got me thinking really deeply that actually that's what you're putting out into the universe. So if you are coming, that's what you're doing. And even if you don't come from a bad place with it, that you're not out there saying everyone needs to, to be killed, that is an action that's going out into the universe and it has an impact. It has consequences. So even when we tell a white lie, when we do something very small, it has a consequence. And this got me thinking a lot about that, that it can be the tiniest thing that I say to someone or a tiny lie that has an impact because you have to come from it a negative place almost when you do it mm. and that catch catches up with you your body your mind that is oh my god I'm like just the whole story about how you bring up things when you attend and yeah. but seriously that's like I you know I when I look back at my childhood years I'm still kind of processing the fact that I was a little bit of a bitch like <laughs> I really was and I don't and I racking my mind about why why I was like that and when sometimes when I see people in high school I'm almost like a little bit nervous to see them because I'm like yeah I was wasn't a nice person and sometimes that well I mean most of the time they're like oh what are you on about but I'm in my head like I've created this this like monster that I was you know um we and, did that. We yeah. did that. and that yeah. when you said that it got me thinking to that moment so the truth is I slapped someone when I was 10 at school wow she was meant to be my best friend by the way oh Again, yeah. imagine, I just kept thinking, who does that? Who mm. actually does that? And that was horrible. And I did it in front of other people and it was horrible. Yeah. No, I mean, I went through the whole thing of high school where I was like dying to be in like the A group and, you know, would do anything to get to that, to be in that clicky A group and finally got there. And then was basically, my mum used to say that I was like, um, my friends with the gun and I was the bullet because I was always so impressionable and I would always be the one who would kind of be the mouthpiece for the rest of the group. Yeah. Um, and, and that really affected me. And, you know, and it was only when I finally got that back on myself where they all ganged up on me and they pushed me out of the group. And it was something stupid as I wasn't included in the dance anymore. And, yeah. you know, people would be like, why are you hanging out with her? She's a bitch or, yeah. you know, saying all these things. And it was only when I was like, you know, on a Sunday night at home feeling sick, I don't want to go to school tomorrow. And my mum kind of took me to one side and was like, now, listen, I'm going to just be real with you right now. This is the way that you've made other people feel. So, and I'm not trying to make you feel even worse, but if you can just put yourself in, in their kind of shoes, this is what you've been doing. Yeah. And it was from there that I, I kind of called every single one that, and this is when I was 15, I called every single person that I'd like bullied or been mean to yeah. and said, if I'd made you it feel anywhere near as bad as I, I feel right now, I'm so sorry. And, you know, and it still makes me feel emotional now yeah. because it's, I've carried, it's such huge weight. I'm embarrassed you know why why did why was that the action that I chose you know but it's it's so interesting that you kind of went through that as well and you're still processing that as an adult and still feeling shame about that because 
why do we act those ways when we're growing up in adolescence and you know, a, a, you know younger in primary school why do we act those ways and it's trying to figure out why um that can cause that inner turmoil yeah. um and as you say you can take that with you throughout the whole of your life and you think well i deserve that yeah. um and that's where you can have the lack mentality and you can have yeah. you know things that are consequently just going further and further negative in your life and you start you know but yeah god that's so interesting and I feel yeah even more interested in it now kind of having this conversation with you than even even before when we spoke I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about Cytoplan a unique science-based supplement company with many years of experience in nutritional science and whose emphasis is on quality of product My medical herbalist swears by them as they don't use any unnecessary bulking agents. Before I found out about Cytoplan, I was taking up to 8 supplements a day all with bulking agents in them. It was such a relief to find out Cytoplan products are extremely pure. I now use them daily and I would recommend them to anyone looking for quality vitamins and supplements. They have a great range for many different health benefits, so if you'd like to find out more, Please follow the link in the bio of this episode and check out Cytoplan. You won't regret it. So, I mean, for the listeners, can you tell us a little bit about where did you do it and where can the listeners do it? Can you do it in the UK? Can you do it? Is it all over the world? Is it specific places? Yes, so it is all over the world. There are centres dotted around America, Europe, UK as well. There are a couple in in the UK. I actually chose to do it in the UAE. So I did it just on the outskirts of Ras al-Khaimah, which is about an hour away from Dubai. Um, Now, I'm actually relocating to Dubai. So the UAE, yes, thank you. The UAE kind of made sense to me as Mm. it's about to be my future home. It's somewhere that I want to live and therefore I chose a centre there. Now, another key part of this was when you do have a break in between your meditation sessions, it will be a short break. But um, I think during the day, during the timetable, there's one time of the day where you have one hour to rest. So you either go to your bedroom or you can sit outdoors. Now, for me, being able to sit outdoors in good weather was something that I did think about before I chose my Vipassana Center. But what I would say is as a new student, you get to do that. You get to sit outdoors for that rest period and enjoy the kind of scenery in the the retreat, you could call it. But if you go back to a Vipassana, now I've now done a 10 day. So if I do another 10 day, I become something called an old student, um, which means in your rest period, you actually can't sit outdoors or go for a walk. You take an extra couple of precepts, which are in addition to those ones, which are no stealing, no lying, no killing, all of that. You can have no sensual entertainment. So just walking around outdoors and enjoying nature counts as sensual entertainment. Wow. Yes. So that's taking it up to the next level. It is. Yeah, exactly. So that um, kind of may determine where an old student chooses to do their their Vipassana. But everyone has different reasons behind why they choose different centers. They're they're in India as well, um, lots of different countries. The truth of it is, it's very basic in terms of the accommodation, because another key thing to mention about Vipassana is that it's run on donations only. So you don't pay to be there, which again makes this a very different concept to what other people think of in terms of yoga retreats and meditation Mm. retreats. That's not what this is. It's solely run on donations. So I've never heard of such a thing. That's crazy. Exactly. It's such a, a, 
different concept, right, to everything else in the world of self-help and healing and all of that. There's a huge profit to be made, if we're honest. It can be so expensive just Mm -hmm. trying. I mean, if you don't go the, you know, the the traditional route where you're going to go and, you know, to get prescribed drugs and it can be so expensive. And I've found that myself and I've wanted to invest in my health because I know that I'm worth it. Um, But as you say, when you, I remember you saying to me, yeah, it was completely run on donation. And I was just like, absolutely mind blown. Exactly. Yes. That's what makes it so different. And again, it makes me see it very differently that it really is there to help people and heal people. Mm -hmm. They're not profit making. And yet, people are funding it usually by donations and it's up to you how much you give at the end and how you calculate that and so I went in thinking how do I calculate this is it how many meals I've had per day and Mm -hmm. how much it would be to book a room near Ras Al Khaimah but once you go through those 10 days you realize it's not about any of that it's your mindset changes because the reason you donate at the end is because another student will benefit when they go and they get to use those facilities that's what they want to teach you it's if you do donate do it with the right mindset and your heart being in the right place and then it won't matter what amount you give because wow. you're given what you need to be giving based on how you feel and honestly at that moment I thought let me empty my bank account I'll give you everything and I honestly felt that way because I felt so happy at the end of it and grateful to have done those 10 days that I didn't know how to compensate in that way how do I pay for something that was life-changing you wow. can't put a price on it and and I struggled and I I did empty my wallet I emptied whatever I had in terms of cash because I yeah, that's how I felt at the end of it. It was so powerful. Um, but yes, going back to where I did it, it was the UAE. And honestly, I'm glad I chose that one because the weather was incredible. Dubai is very hot. So, well, the UAE is very hot. And I went at a time when it wasn't yet the peak of the summer. So it was okay for me to do it at that point in time. But yes, there are centres everywhere. There are ones in the UK. They all have waiting lists, though. So this is another thing. It's really uh, Yeah, I was going to say to you, for yeah. the donation, how long was the waiting list on that? So I didn't actually get on a waiting list. When I booked it, it had just opened up and therefore I got a place immediately. Wow. So this was like a brand new centre? It wasn't a brand new centre. It was an existing centre. But I booked at a time when COVID, we're coming out of lockdown. You can now book again. During the pandemic, they had closed a lot of these centres by default because everything had gone into lockdown. Um, But I realised because people weren't able to do it for two years, all of the centers were getting quite booked up quite quickly. Mm. But for me, I just went on the website and I managed to get a place and I felt like it was, I was led there. The universe at that time, I managed to get a place very easily, which not everyone does. So I felt very blessed and, from a spiritual point of view, I feel like it was my time to do it. I mean, how did you, so let's kind of go back a bit. So I know that you mentioned um, about your divorce. Yeah. Um, so obviously that must've been a really challenging time for you. Um, and I feel like it's, it's something that happens all around us on a daily basis. We all, you know, I'm from divorced parents, got lots of friends with divorced parents and friends that are currently divorced. Um, And so it's something that happens in our everyday life and it can be so traumatic for those involved. Um, And I feel like it's so important to talk about these things because it's, it's how you move forward past that divorce and how, and I mean, I've seen a lot of routes that people take and it's, making themselves so busy that they're, you know, that they don't even really know who they are anymore. Another route can just be really angry and taking that anger and, and out on everyone else and feeling quite bitter. And, um, but I mean, from what you've told me and from what I've seen of you, you've come out, out of it really strong and really enlightened and, and find your spirituality. 
Um, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, the process that, that led you here and how, how, did you, how did you feel initially with that divorce? Definitely. Um, you've seen me towards, you know, four years after the divorce, which actually yeah. is at a much healthier place, a much better place. But actually, rewind to four years ago, I was in a very dark place. Um, I was going through depression, anxiety, sleepless nights, and also turning to things which didn't serve me, like alcohol. I was yeah. drinking way too much. It was a coping mechanism. I was not in a good place whatsoever and I didn't know what to do with it. That's the truth. Um, I think a lot of people going through a divorce will say the same. You just don't know what to do. Where do you even begin to rebuild your life when you've just built a life with someone else? You've pictured a future. You genuinely think you'll be with them until the day you die. And that's the vow that you take. Um, how do you, how do you undo that? Um, and that's where I was. It was like I had to move. So I'd moved to another area. I had to move back in with my parents, which was really difficult. I think when you've lived away from your parents and then you move back in with them, it's just a shock to your system. I was going through that in terms of the physical change, but then the mental and emotional, that was the worst part of it for me. I just didn't know what to do. What I had was a lot of people around me saying, try this, try that, go to the gym, go to your GP, do all of these things. But you get overwhelmed because you think, what do you do and what do I need? And the truth is, I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to face the world. I just wanted to hide away and do nothing. Um, but I realized I can't do that for very long and I will just spiral downwards and my life will literally be over. And it was at that point that I thought, okay, what can I do? And I knew my health was suffering. I knew I wasn't okay, which was when I started doing the obvious things like going to the gym, um, trying a lot more yoga. So I'd already been practicing yoga for years before that, but I shifted the focus to that. And that's when meditation came up and I started to think, okay, meditate. How, how do we do that? But when you're in such a dark place, you're going through depression, meditation is the worst thing I think you can probably do to yourself because you don't want to have silence. You don't want to sit with what you're going through. So it took me years before I got onto the path of real meditation, i.e. the Vipassana. But I started off with just getting healthy again. It was go to the gym and cut down on your drinking. So instead of it wasn't don't see your friends and don't drink with them, but you don't need to get to the point of not remembering what happened the night before. And that's where I was getting. It was just just numbing it. Numb it all. Have as much as you can and you'll be fine. And we all know how you feel afterwards. You get major anxiety after drinking. It's a depressant. Um, so you're having it when you feel so awful and you feel even worse at the end of it. So I didn't cut it out, but it was try and control it a lot better and talk to your therapist about the drinking. So again, I was having counselling at the time to, to talk about how I was coping and the fact that I wasn't coping. Um, so that was a big journey. And I tried a lot out at that point in time. It was let me just try anything and everything, but actually be consistent with it. So going to the gym, I made a point of saying it has to be three times a week, because if I have that routine, you then have less time to sit in your pain or to socialise and drink more because you naturally you have PT the next day. So you forced yourself into it. So a lot of what I did was figure out a new routine, try and, try and deal with things and actually do things differently because the way I was operating wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And I was spiraling massively. I was losing a lot of people. So during a divorce, you don't just lose your partner. You lose a lot of other people around you because they don't know what to do with you. Um, when I was drinking too much, yeah, I was wrecking friendships in the process because people were having to look after me and they couldn't because they for many reasons. I think people themselves aren't able to empathize necessarily. If they haven't gone through a big life event like a divorce, they just think, sort yourself out. Why are you such a liability? And I was carrying that. I felt like a liability. 
every time I drink the next day, I feel, wow, everyone had to look after me. It was me yet again. It's always me. It's always me. So I feel like I lost a lot of people, a lot of friends, a lot of family because divorce culturally as an Indian, there is still a massive stigma attached to it. So even my own family weren't as accepting as I would have liked them to have been. And that's the truth of it. So I was having to deal with that as well. Um, there was a lot. There's just yes, a lot yes, going on. A lot. My God. I mean, like from all kind of areas in your life, it just feels as though you literally had it all on your shoulders. Yeah. And for you to kind of, and I mean, I, I kind of suffer, suffer with you know, really low moods, mainly due to my periods and hormones. Um, but yeah, so I can understand when you say you can't get out of bed because it's that feeling and no, no one can help you, you know, to, to bring you out of that. And mine, mine may last like a much shorter time than yours, you know, cause it's years of, of processing that divorce. And, you know, you know I mean, even it's a scary thing. Cause I mean, I got, I got married last year and I have to say like, it was it was actually really scary you know and like I felt a huge amount of pressure to I'm, I'm one of four siblings I'm the only one that's married I'm the only one who's probably likely to give my parents grandchildren and I feel like a huge amount of pressure with that you know and it's like and you're still you know I remember after three or four months of marriage I said to my husband I was like I don't feel like a wife. I was like, I can't deal with this. And he's, and luckily we kind of spoke about it and stuff, but I freaked out. I was just like, this isn't me. This isn't who I am. And it's this tradition that, um, that's obviously it's lovely. It's love. And, you know, and it's absolutely amazing to be able to share your life with someone, but also it is this huge amount of pressure because in the back of your mind, you're always worried. What if it doesn't work mm. and what are my family going to think? And, will I lose my friends and all of these things. And I'm, you know, I'm not saying that's where I'm at, but I'm, I'm trying to envision that what the process that you had to go through. Um, and that's horrendous and, and so isolating. And I think the way that you've come out of it is just incredible. You know, I feel, I feel as though, well, when, when we had, had a conversation on the phone before we spoke briefly about how you kind of discovered your spirituality from the divorce. So it kind of it ignited something inside of you that you didn't know was there before. So it's almost like the hardest times in our lives, however hard they are, teach us so much in order to go to that next point in our life. And, and maybe that's a journey that we're always supposed to go on. Um, and you being on the show today and sharing that, sharing your story, I'm hoping will add, you know, will, will provide so much hope for other people that are going through divorces. And um, I mean, do you have, for anyone who's recently going through a divorce mm. um, and they're feeling really lost, they don't want to get out of bed and they've lost a lot of friends, maybe they're, they're engaging in toxic routines and, and daily, you know, patterns. What do you, what, what advice can you give to them? The one thing I would say is really look after yourself. And I know it's so hard to do because you don't want to and you're being drawn away from looking after yourself, but you need to look after yourself mentally and physically. I think that's what it is. It's also just going to the gym won't be enough. It's your mental health. That's what I realized because actually I started with the physical side 
But what I needed was the mental side. It was, yeah, I can go to the gym. I can feel better. I can drink more water. But actually, if you're not dealing with what your heart and mind are going through, the physical won't even make a difference, I don't think. So it's really deeply look after yourself and find your form of self-care because it's not the same for everyone. Going spiritual and doing the yoga, the meditation, that's not for everyone either. But it's what is it? And there are so many different types of therapy out there now. We are so fortunate that we have access to things like somatic dance therapy or music therapy art therapy there's all of these different things so it doesn't have to be what the nhs have told you to consider or you know other people around you explore and try and find out what your self-care looks like and do your best with trying new things and also recognizing it that it won't immediately fix you i think we all want a quick fix and i did too i just thought okay if i do a few months of this i'll be okay again and I just need to do three sessions of this and then I'm healed again. But again, just you almost have to eradicate that from your mind. Healing is a journey. I'm four years later still healing from this divorce. And yet they look at me and think, oh, but you're fine. You're, you're going through life. You've had relationships since. You've, you're moving to another country. You've got a new job. You know, so much seems to be going well in my life, but I'm still healing from my divorce. And that's the truth. We carry on healing. There's for me personally, I don't believe you just heal. I think you always like, it's a lifelong journey almost. So I may get triggered from something from my divorce in two or three years time still in a new relationship, because that's how healing works. Mm. So it's just accepting that if you look after yourself and if you focus on the right things, you will get there, but you will keep having to face new battles while you're doing it. Um, but what I would say is there are so many things out there that you can do. Don't limit yourself to just one or two things or what people suggest. Get on the internet and literally Google random things. And I guess that's how I have ended up with, say, Vipassana, Wim Hof. People have mentioned these types of techniques, but it's only when I went in and did the research and I read blogs on it or listened to podcasts on it, again, that you, you get more interested and more intrigued. So it's be open-minded and realize that there's a lot more that we can all do. I know it's hard and I can say this now because I've gone through it at the time people could have suggested anything and I just I didn't take it seriously but it's staying patient with yourself and being kind to yourself that's one thing I was not and I, I still have my moments where I'm not kind enough be kind to yourself you've gone through a huge life event divorce is not easy it's horrible it's ugly it's heartbreaking but know that you can get through it and I'm an example of that I if I can get through it anyone can get through it I think that's the truth it's you can feel so dark and so low, but you can overcome it if you put in the work. And it does take work. That's another fact of life. If you don't work for what you want, you don't necessarily get the right results at the end of it. So I actively do a lot and I make myself go through things. But also, even though I do yoga, there will be weeks when I don't do yoga. So again, you don't have to be perfect with these things and you don't have to meditate for one hour every single day for the rest of your life because that's really hard to do. And a lot of discipline goes into doing that. And I rate people that can do that, but I can't do that. And that's me having done a 10 day Vipassana where I meditated for 10 and a half hours every day. I can tell you now, I don't meditate every single day. That's the truth. We're all doing our best and I do my best and I try and do as much as I can. Um, and I guess even Ravi, when he talks about Wim Hof and the cold showers, he still says that he struggles to get in there and yet he's teaching this technique, right? But I love that. I do, it's just so relatable. I think that's, that's, yeah. That's what I really, really love about your story as well. Um, I love that, you know, you've got your career and, you know, you're doing all of this kind of on the side and trying, trying to find your, you know, your path in life after such a traumatic life event. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I mean, that was one of the things I was going to ask is, so obviously when you've got this career that you love and then you've also been through all of all of these, you know, crazy life changes, how do you make sure that you have balance in your life? So what are the, you know, because I mean, a lot of the listeners are going to be working nine to five jobs. Um, I know I am as well as doing this and you are as well as, you know, embarking on it, the, the Vipassana. Um, so how do you create balance in your life? For me, it has been evaluating my priorities. So my career has always been important to me. And I knew that that's something that can't fall down, even at my lowest. And actually, it was my sister that told me that at the time. She said, I know your whole world is falling apart, but you're really good at your job. So why didn't you try and hang on to that? And that was one thing I went with. It was, okay. I need to earn and I need to be able to support myself. And especially after a divorce, as a woman, you need to be able to financially support yourself. And that's the truth of it. So that for me was a non-negotiable. I have to get up and go to work every day, but have those open conversations with your manager and say, look, I'm really struggling mentally. I was so fortunate. I had a manager who said, I completely get that you're going through something massive. Do what you need to do. We're not expecting anything major from you. If you turn up, amazing. But if you can't, let us know. And that's where having those open conversations are so important to say, look, I can only turn up to work if you allow me to leave early for the one hour that I need therapy for. And again, it's asking for that and saying, I need an hour off during the day for therapy. And that's in your working day. And a good employer will take that into account and do the right thing by you. And I think lots of businesses, especially financial services firms, are realizing that they have to do that to be good places to work in, especially Mm -hmm. post pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I would say advocate for yourself and say, well, I need this and I'm not negotiating on that. Um, That for me was important and finding the strength to do that whilst I'm trying to build my career and get promoted and, you know, come across as this amazing person at work, but actually being real with yourself and saying, I can't turn up. I just can't, I can barely get out of bed. So logging into work is going to be impossible. Mm. Um, So that was one thing that I really think is important. And then boundaries with the people in your life. So your friends and family will probably go one of two ways. They either turn up and they are there for you, but then that can be too much. Or they're saying, let's socialize, let's go out for drinks. And I had a couple of friends that just kept saying, yeah, let's let's go out for drinks. You need drinks. You need to go out. And it was, I appreciate where you're coming from, but actually I know that alcohol is not healthy for me right now. So I'll go out with you in two or three weeks time when I can and not right now. So it's not feeling the pressure of the world and setting your boundaries to say, I can't do this today. I need to do something else and book out that time. It's your time. It's no one else's. You need to be really strong and firm on what you need. And you don't always know what you need, but trying not to give into social pressure and also saying no to things. So when you're going through a divorce at our age in our 20s, 30s, other people around us are still getting married and having babies and doing all of these other things. But if that's going to be hard for you to go to someone else's wedding because you've just got divorced, don't go. Yeah. And that's the truth. And again, if that friend is hurt by that, that's something you'll need to explore in your friendship, but you need to be able to be honest enough to say, I just can't sit through a wedding right now. I can't, it's too hard. I will be in tears doing it. So would you rather have a guest that is mentally not able to cope with it? Or would you rather celebrate with your friends separately and take her out and do something different? So I realized I was going to events still, which I probably shouldn't have been at because I was not mentally in a place to be at. So be honest with yourself and say, if that's going to be too hard for you, that's okay. And they say this even, for example, if you've suffered from a miscarriage and then a friend's having a baby shower, that might be too much for you. And that's okay. And you need to 
say that to your friend and the people that love you will accept that and accept you for who you are and say totally fine I don't even expect you there right now do you do what you need to do and the right people will maneuver that but you need to almost you do need to advocate for yourself and speak up because people don't know they can't read your mind they haven't gone through your trauma they haven't gone through a divorce and I would say even people that have been through a divorce still don't know how you're feeling because we all have such unique experiences so I was finding people that were also divorced weren't as empathetic funnily enough <laughs> and it was you've been through this how how do you not get it but this is humans we don't always get each other but as long as you can try and get to know yourself and set those boundaries and just say right I need this I don't need that and I dictate that it's take power take your power back so a lot of my last few years has been taking my power back and saying I know the whole world wants me to do everything and my career needs this and my family need that and my friends need this but I need to do me first and then I will give because it's the whole you can't pour from an empty cup thing it's that you just can't you can't turn up for the people if you're not turning up for yourself a hundred percent all of that is just so important I mean first point on that is the the employer like speaking with your employer and and being open and especially as a woman trying to get a promotion Mm -hmm. um it's it's almost shameful to have to say oh I need therapy right now but it shouldn't be and it's so amazing that you're in a position where it wasn't seen as that you're still excelling in your job you've obviously you know found an employer that is you know looking after your mental health and putting that to the forefront and that is the way that all companies should be going um because so often you see people you see people talking about burnout and um and not having that time and and it's it's strange I mean because in America it's always you always openly talk about yeah my therapist told me this or but it's still you know I mean I've, I've gone through therapy myself and I'm still not at the point where I'll openly tell certain people do you know what I mean because you're yeah. trying to protect yourself from from them perceiving you as some sort of fruit loop or something yeah and and realistically you're just like actually I'm going to be the better person um because I'm really trying to work on these things that aren't aren't good for anyone anyone else around me um and and myself so so yeah I think that's such an amazing point and and well done you for bringing that up to your employer because that is exactly what what you needed in that time um and it is so important and then recently I mean I've started I've started to like do like two week social bands because it's just, I swear, like as soon as you reach the end of your twenties, thirties, it's just like, everyone wants to get everything booked in. And I, sometimes it can come across as though I'm like ungrateful and I don't, of course I don't want to be left out and I, and I want to hang out with my friends, but it's also like, I'm, I'm working five days a week. It's like 11 hours with my commute there and back. I get home, I eat my dinner. Um, and then I do it again. And it's like, when's the time for me, you know, when is the time for me to sit down and digest my week and figure out my goals, where I'm at with my goals. Um, and then if I do have a packed weekend, all of that gets shunned to the side and then you're a Monday again. And it's like, oh, okay, we're repeating this cycle. And with, without trying to offend people, a lot, a lot of people don't understand when you say you're on a two-week social band they're like oh what does that mean why are you doing that but that's that's what works for me and I found that the friends who truly understand that are the ones that will support you throughout your life 
And from what you were saying, um, you know, the ones who say, for instance, you weren't ready to go to a wedding or a christening or any type of environment where, which can maybe be triggering for someone who's gone through something traumatically. Um, if they, if they don't understand, and this is for listeners as well, if, if you're in a position where you've been through a traumatic event, you're trying to work on yourself, um, and you're, you're not wanting to go to something and your heart and soul is saying, this isn't right for me right now. Mm. That is okay. And, yeah. you know, and, and I think that's such an amazingly important point from you, Shruti, because that's where I'm at as well. I'm working my way through that and I'm learning the art of saying no. Yes. I love this. This is so important. And what I would say is the people that you lose because you've said no, you will gain so many more people. And I've said this over the last four years, I've built beautiful new friendships. So for everyone that I've lost, I've gained on honesty double. Wow. Um, and it is going to these types of workshops and meeting you yeah. at one half and you know, <laughs> doing that work and going to the places where you have more people who are like-minded, you will meet so many new people who are healthier for you actually. And those people in your past, they served you at that point. They were great at that point in time but you then have to move on and this is the truth of life we have to move through phases and stages and new people come in and when you get to know yourself better you then know who's better for you and I'm definitely at that place now where I definitely have less friends in that respect but the friends that I do have bring so much to me and I hope I can bring to them as well because I want to help them in their journeys as well because they're going through something and you know it's not always about just healing and going through things like that but you do need people that can empathize and get where you're coming from and respect you, even if they don't get how you live. I don't have many friends that would do the Vipassana. I have a couple, mm-hmm. but generally people are just like, how did you do that? How did you do something? We still don't understand it. And you don't need people around you that do exactly what you do, but you do need people who respect you. And that's a really key part. It's do they respect you and you'll need to be alone. That's another thing. I block out huge amounts of time as well. I love that you said that. Mm-hmm. I would just do something where I'm not going out at all. And I, I don't even explain it anymore. There's nothing to explain. That's just what I'm doing. I don't need to explain myself. And we take way too much energy up trying to explain ourselves to people. So and true. The world that you're good and that you're not meaning harm. Well, actually, no, just let's all get on with it and live, live in the best way we can and treat people as, as best as we can. I think that's like an amazing way for us to to round things up. I feel like we've discussed so many different parts of your journey and and where we're both at and and as I say, you know, it's so so amazing that we we met at Ravi's course and and I feel as though we're just kind of attracting more more people like this into our lives. Um so yeah, from me, thank you so much for sharing something that was so first of all so traumatic traumatic with your divorce. And then also your your journey into, you know, where you're at now. I think it's just an amazingly important story for the world to hear. And I can't wait to share it. Thank you so much. It's been so brilliant talking to you. So all the best for your move as well. Um, and we'll keep in touch for sure. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Fruity. Thank you. Take care. Bye. 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 Shruti's story is a really important one to share because we are all trying our best in life and it's highly likely things might not pan out the way we quite envisioned it to, no matter how much we try to plan. Divorce is a topic that is present in so many of our lives and yet it can still cause so much shame for the people involved. Shruti's journey with this was no quick fix and after initially hitting rock bottom, 
She slowly figured out a new routine that involved less alcohol, looking after her body, going to therapy, and taking each day a step at a time to help her begin to feel more like herself again. When she was ready, the Vipassana was the most healing experience she had had up until that point, and she dealt with wounds that went all the way back to her childhood. When we stop to be with only ourselves and strip back everything else, how many wounds do you think we still need to deal with? I know for myself, it would be a very confronting experience and one I would love to try one day. You've been listening to the Moody Girl podcast and this year is a really exciting year as I'm going to be posting a new episode every Sunday rather than every two weeks as I have so many conversations that I want to share with you all. If you enjoy listening, please do subscribe and give the podcast a five-star review on whichever platform you're listening on. I can't express how helpful this is because I really want these conversations to reach a wider audience and ultimately continue doing what I absolutely love. You can follow me on the Moody Girl socials, Instagram or TikTok at Moody Girl Official and the website is www.moody-girl.co.uk. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.